socks. Go, 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 go. Let's go, 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 White Sox. Chicago is proud of you. This is White Sox Weekly. Chicago Baseball Conversation on the new flagship home of the Sox, 720 WGN. White Sox winner today, 18-21. and 21. We're going to have a party on White Sox Weekly. Damn it. Happy Mother's Day. And look who's in studio today. Wow, it's- profanity right out of the blocks. I love it. I mean... Is, is damn it really profanity? Is I that don't know. on a Sunday afternoon? Does that that feels everybody like just coming from Mother's Day brunch and a nice uh, nice White Sox win? Yeah, maybe so. You're coming out, you're coming out hot. That's, I like it. It's a hot take, Brian Noonan. Uh, you you love my hot takes, Carm. You know it's been a while since I've uh, hosted a sports show. My hot takes have been limited to uh, theater, breweries, politics, those kind of things. But I am I am excited to be back in the world of sports hot takes. You get to uh, you get to do it for two hours today, Brian. And by the way, you can do sports on your show at any time. Can't can't you don't doesn't the powers that be? Uh, oh sure, we I could talk about whatever I want. It just you know we follow the Sox games a lot, so the first couple minutes are me just apologizing to people who've been listening uh, or celebrating like we're doing today. The Sox uh, big coming off a big road trip in Toronto. They had nice. a over five hundred homestand. They had an over five hundred road trip. They're fifteen and thirteen in their last twenty eight games. How do you feel about a twenty eight game sample size, Brian Noonan? I say World Series after twenty eight games. Yeah, That's what I like to see. Here's the thing: I understand because people now they're going to hear me say that what a homer blah blah listen if you're a fan you got to get excited you have to embrace the good just as you have to accept the bad and and if things are on a roll giolito's on a roll uh tim anderson's on a roll a lot of things going right yes i know the bullpen is troublesome and uh worrisome but every every team seems to have that i'll give as far as the bullpen's concerned let's give a little love to aaron bummer who's come up here and through the pitch of the ninth inning today hasn't given up a run yet right. this year good god bless him and uh, Ryan, <laughs> we're calling down the deities well, i i uh I love well. Listen, everybody needs a left hander out of the pen, yes. Brian Noonan, and, and Aaron Bummer can be that situational left. Yet I like to make predictions, as you know. Uh, yes. And last year we were doing a show, and I said, "Let's look into the future." And which White Sox can you see that are on the roster right now who will be there when they go to the playoffs? And I said Aaron Bummer. Ah. Now, Bummer at that point went on to have a little bit of a rough spell. Right. Ended up back in the minors. Started the year in the minors, but now back up here pitching well. It looks the stuff looks a little crisper to mm-hmm. me, and he's uh, he's been solid and looked good again today in the ninth. So well, you th- know, there's th- there's a bullpen name for you. Baseball baseball careers for the most part are a marathon. So nobody's going to come up if they come up and they're huge right away. Chances are they're not going to stay that way for a long period of time. There's exceptions, obviously, but you know, you guys are going to have their ups and downs. So you you go back down, you work on it. And then, boom, you come back and you're ready to go. A baseball season is a life lesson. It is. It's the up, it's the down. <laughs> it, it's living out of a bag. It's going, going you, on a bus. The best teams are going to win. Uh, the, you know, the best teams are going to lose 60. The best teams are going to win 60. Or the, how, You know what I'm saying. Yes. The best teams are going to lose 60. <laughs> the worst teams are going to win 60. And then it's how do you handle the other 100 in there, so to speak. 
So I'm waiting for Kevin Costner to come in and give us a nice Bull Durham kind of speech. He's gonna, he's, you know, a little one move over here. It's a duck snort, whatever it is. The whole big speech, ph- phenomenal, phenomenal baseball movie. Uh, not so much with the Lake County Fielders. R.I.P. <laughs> okay, so it's 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 Mother's Day. Happy Mom's yes, Day. Is. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. To moms, whether you're birth mothers or you fill that role, however you do it, because it's. I used to not be as woke as I am now, Carm. I'm, oh, okay. I'm a woke guy, and so I realize today is is great for a lot of people. Some day, some for some people, it's a little harder. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we don't celebrate the uh, the people who deserve it. Well, so let's let's play the White Sox celebration to the moms here. And don't worry, some of it is in English, some of it is, is in Spanish. But I have all the all the names for you after we play it. So play along at home. Who do you think <laughs> is who? This was a video that we're putting to radio, so we're going to challenge you here. But I've got the names for you afterwards. Happy birthday from the White Sox. Happy Mother's My Day from the White Sox. She's an absolute saint. Uh, she sacrificed nonstop for myself and my brother. I mean, I can think of tournament after tournament she drove me to, and her giving up, you know, her schedule to, to drive me from this place to this place, and her van was a, a moving locker room for all the sports that I'd play. My mom's everything to me. Uh, she, know, she showed me what hard work and sacrifice is, and, you know, really, really, really set a good example for my sister and I, and, uh, you know, I owe a lot to my mom. Ha sido todo para mí, también para mi familia. Siempre ha sido la jefa de la casa. My mom is everything for me. Uh, she brings me to this world. She's kind of like always for me, my brother. Uh, in the bad moment and the good moments, I'm glad I have uh, the mom I have. La importancia de mi mamá tiene para mí es mucho, porque bueno, fue, fue la persona que, que me trajo a este mundo. Y, y nada, para mí mi mamá significa mucho, porque fue una de las personas que me ayudó eh, a, a, bueno, a estar donde estoy. Para mí mi mamá es, es, es lo más importante. Eh, también está toda mi familia, pero bueno, eh, mi mamá es fundamental. She's been everything to me. I, I know for sure I wouldn't be here without her. Without all her support on the field and off the field, our family wouldn't be what it is without her. Aww. I get a little emotional here and it's Brian. beautiful. Isn't that nice? It is nice. So it, the, it's nice to see the White Sox reaching out. Those players have moms. Right. And we're going to represent. Now, they did this a while back here, just judging by the names that they were chosen. <laughs> James McCann let it off, who's having a phenomenal season. Yes. Then it was John Jay, who hasn't played a game quite yet. Right. He's on the 60-day DL. Then it was Ronaldo Lopez. Okay. And then it was Eloy Jimenez. Nice. Then it was Yoan Moncada. And then down at uh, Playing of the Myers, they, they went with Nick Madrigal, their first-round draft wow. pick of last year. All right. So uh, just a, an interesting, beautiful collection of White Sox wishing Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, that's very nice, and it's good to see. You know, I like seeing guys in the minors getting a shot they, it's because then it tells them, yes, you're part of the organization, even though, you know, some days I'm sure you don't feel like it. You feel a f- long way away from the show, Con. But then they do something like this, and you're like, oh, yeah, they still have me in their uh, in their plans. I'm still top of mind. Yes, and 
Nick Madrigal, like the the first round draft picks. Yeah. They, <laughs> They're so, a long way away. It's yes, and it's but it's a it's a little different feeling because they don't they don't get the standard minor league check. Well, they, they get sure. that first round paper. Yeah, Ooh. well, it's you know, paper is one thing, but the desire to actually be here playing is another thing. No you doubt, know? no these doubt. Guys, these guys have uh, have a yearning to did, be up here at the at the rate. Did you uh, did you go to? Yes, White I Sox? make that first round paper. No, yeah, right. I was that's what I was going to ask. Did you go to uh, Sox games or uh, sporting events? Period with your mom? No, mostly with my dad. My mom, my mom was busy keeping the rest of them in line at home. So uh-huh. it was with four brothers. There was not, uh, you know. Yeah. She came like when we when we played sports. She always came to the games, so she supported from the stands that way. But going to uh, pro games, it was anytime we went to a baseball game or something, it was or a football game, it was with my dad. Yeah, so fair enough. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Did mom take you to mom? I, I, mom take a young Carm to Wimbledon? I can I've never been to Wimbledon. All right. Hope that would happen someday. I I can remember going to one Chicago Bulls game with my with my entire family. Oh yeah, one twelve one oh seven loss to the Atlanta Hawks. Wow. How did I know you would know exactly what the score was? Who for, played? How many minutes? First balcony sat on the bend. <laughs> What'd you have from the concession stand? Anything? I, I, I just remember the family being like, uh, "Let's go, it's over." I'm like, "Hang on a second, they're only down five with uh, oh. you know thirty seconds to go." They didn't grasp your uh, your future endeavors, your yeah. your love of the game. Well, right? Who gives up? What type of what type of message is Not that? Not me. To send? I don't leave. You t- you, come on, man, young Carmen. I'm trying to learn to have right. value. You stay to the very end with whistle blows. That's the end of the game. I, I already had more heart than my family. Maybe I wasn't just the beating. collective. You hold more heart than the collective Carmen clan. That, I go with a lot of alliteration. Is that, is that that's rude? my hot take? Is, is that rude? No, I, it's not rude. I, I, Happy I Mother's I, Day. <laughs> heartless. You're heartless. Happy Mother's Day. Hey, uh, reminder: you can learn from the pros this summer at White Sox Summer Camp. It's starting at just 140. Kids, kids age 5 to 12 can register for a camp at any of our 30 locations. All participants receive a White Sox hat, T-shirt, four game tickets, and exclusive look at Guaranteed Rate Field. Register today at WhiteSox.com slash play. Brian, you want to tell the fans anything important? I feel like you have something very important. I don't. Impor- I don't have anything important to tell them until after 4 o'clock. Oh, okay. Until after- I save my important messages till after the top of the hour. Fair enough. Fair I enough. like that first quarter sweep for my important messages. All right. Good plan. Coming on back here. Uh, There was something on the broadcast today that we want to help you out with. Ed Farmer with a reference that that only Ed Farmer can do. We'll play that for you next. 720 WGN. At the wall, a 380. Gone. A three-run homer for Tim Anderson. 3-1 White Sox. Back to White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. White Sox a winner today, 5-1 over the Blue Jays. The one negative today, Leury Garcia crashed into the wall, Brian Noonan, had to be taken out of the game. He uh, is going to be okay, but the, the, they gave him a little bit of a hard time for well, everything going yeah. Dar- DJ uh, took the opportunity to say, because Ed, of course, asked, hey, did you ever run into any walls when you were playing? And DJ's like, oh, yeah. They, you know, when I was playing, they didn't actually have a lot of padding on the walls. It was chicken wire and spikes and wood. And it, he made it sound, you know, like he was storming a castle and there was hot oil being poured on him anytime he went near the outfield. And, you know, then he said what I, th- you know, th- kind of a meathead thing. We played tougher back in the day. It's <laughs> like, really? The guy just ran into a wall and made a spectacular play, held on to the ball. Everything's right. But because he took a couple seconds to get up and was woozy, 
he's not tough enough. Well, he he, he <laughs> ended up leaving the ball game, and uh, Ricky on the post game was saying that he, you know, hopefully will have him in the lineup tomorrow. Yeah. And, and Leary's been playing great, but I challenge anybody to run into if you're listening at home or you're in your car, pull over, uh, run into one of the uh, concrete embutments on the expressway. And, and, and then tell me if you're just going to pop right back up. It, it's This is true. Not not very easy to do. Not easy to do. And maybe you could do it, but could you do it and also catch a major league fly ball and hang on to it while diving? It was a, it was a, it was a great catch. Yes. He's running uh, into, into right center field. and uh, But he... The way he hit the wall, I will say, just watching it, I was surprised that he had to come out of the ball game. He didn't. He didn't crack into it like well, full Aaron Rowan speed back right. in the day. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't Rowanize the wall. So I, I think it was just the way that he hit it was a little bit awkward, and maybe he was dealing with you know who knows what yeah. he's been dealing with before that injury, exactly. where maybe the back was probably perhaps but a little bit of an issue at least. I don't think we need to call his toughness into question. No, I'm, sh- I'm sure they're just I, having I, a little bit of fun. I know. D- listen, that's what they do. D- DJ's mm. a throwback ball player with the metal spikes and guys, you know, uh, guys putting chewing tobacco in your eyeballs when you slid into second base. It, it's a whole different game. We're gonna have some. T- Tough guys on the program today. Yes. Greg Pryor, who uh, played infield for the White Sox, is going to be on the show today. He's got a book out that was written by Tony Larusa, another uh, tough guy. Yeah, Tony is, does not play around. <laughs> and uh, Bill Naharadney, who yes. was a catcher for the White Sox in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, White Sox hitman, uh, is going to be on the show as well. He's got some stories about Steve Stone, oh. uh, and we're also going to hear from Jose Abreu on the show today. Wow. Uh, coming up, yeah, yeah, we're going big time. You're coming up after four o'clock. We'll get a little bit of conversation uh, with Jose, courtesy of Billy Russo. Uh, talk to Jose in the clubhouse at the end of last homestand, so we'll play that for you today. First time making an appearance here on Is that WGN. Right? Yes. Very nice. Good for you, Con. So, well, got to get a out. scoop. Got to get, get out there do that hustle. All right, here. <laughs> let's, uh, let us hear oh, yeah. the, the conversation uh, with Ed Farmer, who uh, referenced something that uh, I had to look up. I think you did too, Brian Noonan. The 2-1 pitch. Foul out of play, a change up away, and now the count two and two. So basically, they're taking the Horace Greeley head, yes, West young man, and then come back to Chicago, the Indians, as well as the Jays. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're following the trail of the Indians. Went a long way for that one. I guess you did. Too far. Horace Greeley, you might want to give a history and background on him. I can't. You I don't want to bore game. anyone with this, though. Well, you yeah. brought him in the game. I did. Stuff to get him into a baseball broadcast. Yeah. I guess do your research. All right, Professor Farmer and his tweed blazer. So DJ tease about gives an opportunity now. WGN, you in the car at home. Who in the world is Horace Greeley? Three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. Three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. Because I had to look it up. Did you know? Brian I Newton? knew. I knew the the slogan. The what um, what Ed was referring to. The famous. He made one phrase very famous i didn't know the rest of his background so i did look it up because i was like wait a minute i know that but how how did it play in see i i first of all i was i was sitting there like i felt like i was on dj's like will you ask uncle ed exactly who <laughs> horace greeley is where where is that where didn't is that he coming play third from? base for the indians back in 68 that, so that's what i was thinking like this is you know i mean horace greeley uh is, is he perhaps 
somebody an of, owner, a, a right. trainer, a manager. Right. I mean, I I I didn't realize that uh, you know this was a man. One thing about him that I that mm-hmm. I, I will say, he was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Wow. Did you know that? Well, uh, sure, because I have Google too. Right. So <laughs> I learned all that. I know he founded the uh, the editor. He was the editor and founder of the New York Tribune. Which was one of the greatest newspapers of its time. But but why was Ed Farmer bringing Horace Greeley up in that moment? Well, I think he was trying to play... Uh, Horace Greeley made uh, Go West, Young Man, like the famous catchphrase. So I think Ed was trying to, uh, trying to do that, and yet the White Sox... Are they really coming west? They're kind of, they're kind of just coming south. The the, the, the White Sox aren't going west, but the Toronto Blue Jays, the Blue Jays are, are going, going out to play San Francisco. Okay, so that's why he he just dropped Horace Greeley out of nowhere. Right, you, you have no you have no idea what can happen in the mind of Farmio at any moment. And there it was, Horace Greeley, born February 3rd, 1811, in Amherst, New Hampshire, Brian Noonan. Wow. He lived to be 61 years old, passed away November 29th, 1872, in Pleasantville, New York. Go West, young man, indeed, uh, and grow up with the country was his deal. Right. And, and he, he ran against uh, Ulysses S. Grant in a failed attempt for president. He was a member of the new Liberal Republican Party at the time. He was a presidential nominee. You know, I, I listened to Farmio during the broadcast, and I feel like I used to, every once in a while, when I would watch Dennis Miller back in the day on his HBO show, he would make references and everybody would laugh, and you would say, what did that mean? And everybody would go, I have no idea. I have no idea what that meant. Yeah, I'm, So yeah. it's all right. Listen, look what Farmio did for us. Just one offhand compliment, and now you are educating the masses about Horace Greeley. Who lost in a landslide, uh, <laughs> despite having the additional support of the Democratic Party. He was devastated, Horace Greeley was, oh. Brian Noonan. He was devastated by the death of his wife, who died five days before the election, and died himself three weeks later before the Electoral College had met. He could have been oh. a president. And yet- Farmio could have been talking about a president today. But it wasn't to be well, for Horace wasn't Greeley. To be, no, for Horace Greeley, it did not. It did not work out the way some great men have it plotted out for them. And yet, fate will always carry the big eraser, Carm. Went to New York. Fate makes it all. Yeah, he was born in in New Hampshire, a pr- a, apprentice <laughs> to a printer in Vermont. Went to New York City in 1831 <laughs> to seek his fortune. This Wikipedia entry brought to you by Mark Carm on Wednesday's Weekly. See, people dog Wikipedia. I think Wikipedia is amazing. Wikipedia is terrific. I love because I mean, it's the first place you go and you go. Hey, in one paragraph. I can sound like at least I'm familiar with who this guy was. Right. There might be something in here that's not completely true. I'm good with that. I'm totally... <laughs> I mean, close enough. Horace Greeley invented peanut butter. That's not true. And yet it's on Wikipedia. But it made the broadcast today. All right, quick time out. We'll get you to Jose Abreu coming up after the 4 o'clock news. White Sox Weekly with you till 5.30. Then Brian Noonan gets to do his own show Woo-hoo. at 5.30, WGN. Radio You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the home of the Sox, 720 WGN. White Sox coming home. The Cleveland Indians will be here tomorrow night, 7.05 first pitch. You got a 6.35 pregame. Day game Tuesday, off day Wednesday, then four with the Toronto Blue Jays. A lot more going on, Brian Newman. Yes, speaking of the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays come into town on Thursday, May 16th, and it is the next free t-shirt night. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Thursday, May 16th, the Sox take on the Blue Jays at 710. The first 10,000 fans in attendance are going to take home a free t-shirt commemorating Burley's perfect game. Remember that? Sure you do. Uh, Get your tickets today at WhiteSox.com. I remember that. I was sitting at home and I got a call from a buddy of mine. He said, you got to turn on the game. And he didn't tell me why. 
because he was one of those superstitious types that, God forbid, you mentioned there's a perfect game happening because then the baseball gods turn everything upside down. But I turned it on, and then I had to call a couple other people. I go, are you watching the Sox? <laughs> Watch the Sox. So you, have you ever been to a no-hitter in person? I have not. Mm-hmm. I have not. I've mm-hmm. come close. I watched Chris Sale get, get close, uh-huh. uh, but I've never, I've never seen one in person. So if I could punch your ticket right now, Brian Noonan gets to go oh. see, let's just say, Ronaldo Lopez mm-hmm. tomorrow night, throw a no-hitter, or you can go... And see Jose Abreu, who we're going to talk to here in five minutes, uh, hit four home runs in a game, including a walk-off homer to win it in the ninth, nine to eight. Which would you, <laughs> which would you pick? Wow, it's a great question. It is by a me. great question. Uh, my here's my here's my hot take on this. I got to go with Abreu because I'm a guy like a lot of fans. I like the long ball. I appreciate the finesse and the artistry of a no hitter, but uh, a little bit of a snooze festival. A little bit, and that's you know you can at me if that's your if that's your social media game. But I'm going to go. I I like a nail biter. I'm always the guy who stays till the. We talked about this before with your family. I stay till the last out. I don't leave. So I'm going to stay and I'm going to watch Abreu do this. I'm going to watch this back and forth between uh, between the two teams. Sounds like you're one of those guys at a baseball game who's having a great time. You got conversation going, maybe with your daughter. Yeah, you're having a good Brian Noonan all day, and then all of a sudden you look up in the sixth, and it's like, is that a zero there? Did they not have a hit? And then, and then you realize, which I think that's no, and I think that's partially correct. It's I am I always am paying attention, but sometimes yeah, you get every once in a while after about four innings, I want to take a stroll because my butt hurts. I can't, you know, the seats are nice at the rate, but I got to stretch my legs. Which is why they stroll around. I go to the concourse. (laughs) I stand by the Carlton Fisk statue. I go over Rub Comiskey's Derby on his statue. Maybe I get a dumpling, nice craft beer. I keep moving. Uh, take a shower because I never shower before the game. I always shower in center field. It's bring a bar of soap, soap it up. But yeah, that I miss. Maybe I miss miss a half an inning or I, so. I actually think not enough people take a shower at the game. You got to shower at the game. Why not? Why not go shower? Do they Especially even, in the middle of the summer, you go to a July day night doubleheader. By the end of that first game, you stink. Let's be honest. You're sitting in the sun all day. Uh, you get a little rancid. So you go, you shower up before the nighttime game, you're fresh. I'm trying to remember if the shower is even still there. It is. It, it, it's, From the Plumbers Council. It's, it's, well, it was. I haven't been this season. It was I, there last season. Because whenever I go to Fundamentals, left field corner, that's where the shower is. But I haven't I haven't paid attention to the shower in a long time. Back in the old, uh, when I worked the concourse days, right. I, I, that shower was there. But I, I have not been out. Like last year, left field concourse, I... I well, now it's more towards center. Okay, uh, it's more towards and it's it's instead of it's like a little shower stall almost, right? So it's it's in there, but yeah, it was there ever, last. It was you, there last year. Have you seen anybody actually in the shower? No, I, no. no one takes the shower. Well, who's going to bring their their shower shoes and a wrap, and then you got to you know get dressed, you soap up, you you know suddenly you look like Ferris Bueller, yeah, just just a little spritzer. You don't need to do all the whole soaping thing. All right. <laughs> Are as, you sure? As as we as we move along, let's bring uh, let's bring Jose Abreu into the conversation. Now, yeah. Billy Russo uh, does the Spanish broadcast for the White Sox, and uh, Billy and I sat down with Jose Abreu. He allowed me to ask the questions, and then Billy oh, nice. Billy does the answering here. So Jose Abreu uh, has been red hot. It's turned it around. Uh, this, this conversation mm-hmm. happened last weekend. So Abreu was was on a roll. So we started out asking what uh, what went into the going from you were slumping to now playing some really good baseball. 
uh, this has happened with the support of my, my teammates. You know, Wellington Castillo, uh, when we were in Detroit, uh, he told me a few a few things, and uh, you know, I, I'm glad that, that he did it because I was doing I, I was doing a, a few things wrong. And as soon as he uh, told me that, I said, "Yeah, you're right." And, and then I start working on it. And uh, you know, as soon as I as I fix that, I start hitting as a, as I used to. Was it a quick fix? Was it as easy as that? Yes, it was because uh, it, it was about the position uh, in the home plate. Where I was standing at, you know, in, in the in the in the batter box. Then, uh, as soon as as soon as he told me that, I realized that he was. I mean, he, he was right, and then it, it was an easy fix. And and I, and, and for that, I, I'm uh, uh, you know thankful uh, and grateful with him. Take Wellington to dinner. That that's normal. We, we do that uh, often during the trips. Do you, do you do you sleep better when you're going well for like a four for four? Do you sleep better that night versus an over four? Or do you not take the ballpark home with you? I think that uh, you sleep you sleep better, at least in my case, when you are uh, over four because that's when you realize uh, you know the value of the people around here, uh, around around here and around you. You know my family, my my friends, uh, you know people in my house. Uh, you know then that's probably why uh, I. I sleep better when I go over four. That's interesting. So, all right, let's go to a couple of your teammates here. Uh, Timmy, Player of the Month for for March slash April, and he's out there about making baseball exciting, and he's just there's a lot of attention on him. Like from your perspective, seeing him from when he first got here till now, uh, how have you seen him improve as a player and, and also just like leadership, the whole thing? He has done a great job. I mean, uh, he worked hard during during the off season uh, to improve, and you know, I, th- I think uh, we, have, we have, I mean, we're seeing the results of all the work that he has put in, uh, you know, on, on, on his staff. I mean, he's he's an outstanding player, and uh, it was, this is a funny story. Last night, when I when I when I look at the scoreboard and I saw like as the the notes that he was the player of Ramon, I remember, wow, uh, he has come a long way. A long road for for that, and, and you know I, I'm very happy for him, and I'm very happy for us because we're glad to have him here with us. Do you like his bat flip? There are moments for 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 that. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's moment when when I mean it's 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 good to do, or, or you know, it, it doesn't matter uh, whatever the, whatever the moment the, the moment is. I mean, he's a he's a he's a meeting mate, and uh, I I gonna get his back every time. What about your uh, another guy in the infield, Moncada? You, how he's come from last year? He's you know a ton of strikeouts this year. I, I think he's gone from the most last year to fifty second. A huge improvement and playing third base. You know we're all happy uh, just the way that, he, that he's playing and uh, what he's doing. But uh, I know that he can do more and he can do better. Then I, I always uh, asking him for more because I know that he has more to do and, and, and more to give. Uh, you know, on the field, but uh, you know, uh, about last year, last year is in the past. Uh, I mean, our focus is uh, about this year. I know that he that he worked hard for all the success uh, that he's having this year, and hopefully, that's that that's he's gonna be able to keep that through the whole season. Is it, is it big brother, little brother? It's more like a father to son. And well, what, what's what's the number one thing you're you're telling him right now? Keep keep it uh, keep the focus. Keep the, uh, keep the focus and, and try to live uh, in peace with life.
Are you worried? Uh, uh, or are you thinking about contract extension? I feel like you, you you've earned one here. No, not at all. Because I'm I'm very confident that this is a place where I'm gonna end my career and I'm gonna I, I, like I said before I wanna play my whole career here and I'm very confident that, that I'm gonna end my career here. Uh, you know I've done everything for this organization. They know it. I I, I know it. And uh, you know it's it's like I said. I mean uh, I'm very confident that I'm gonna end my career here. How come it hasn't happened yet? Those are things that you can control, but uh, if they don't sign me, I'm going to sign here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, last last one. You you're in your your prime. White Sox are in the rebuild. Do you, are you getting impatient? Are you, how, how are you handling it all? Yes, a little bit, because I want to win. And I know that we all want to win. And I think that we're doing the things uh, the right way. We're working hard uh, to improve. And, and when you see our record right now, I think that even though it's a... Uh, it's, uh, uh, under 500, I think uh, we're we're in a decent spot, but I know that we can do better. So there you go, Billy Russo, who does the color on WRTO AM 1200 for the White Sox Spanish broadcast, uh, answering the questions alongside Jose Abreu. Maybe we should have left in Abreu's uh, answers as well. But th- that I wasn't was the conversation. sure. If, I wasn't sure if uh, Jose was really there. He, if this was a ruse that you were perpetrating <laughs> on the White Sox weekly listeners, Carm. Uh, there was but no, I know you're above that. Kind of I, thing. I, I am, and Jose is. Uh, one of my favorite people in that clubhouse. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to go to uh, one of the White Sox charity events over at the Art Institute, and oh, nice. uh, I sat at the table with Jose and Billy, and he was so oh, very nice. He was so great to the people at the table. Not that that was a surprise or anything, sure. but just the way he was just so welcoming and answering questions. And I'm sitting there like media guy wanting to. <laughs> I gotta ask you. Listen, I gotta ask you questions, right? Because you don't get them in that setting no. where, where they're relaxed and. Well, that's just it. It's a whole different thing when you're talking to somebody in the clubhouse. They've got, you know, they've got the the mindset of this is the team's line of, you know, these are the these are the talking points I need. The team wants me to say this, but you get a guy out at a social event. Maybe you get a glimpse into what he's really thinking, what he's really about. I loved I loved how uh, when you asked him about the contract extension, he. Sounds like he sounds genuine, or Billy sounded genuine as Jose Abreu, that uh, Abreu wants to stay here. He wants to be a White Sox for uh, on the White Sox forever. So that's that's always good. And the honesty of being frustrated about, you know, yes, we understand it's a rebuild, but it's okay for them to be frustrated. They want to win, too. So Well, and particularly for him, because he has established himself in the big leagues. Yes. He's, he's 32 years old. He doesn't have, you, you know, know. I mean, he's he's got some good years left. Sure. And, but, he, but he is in the back end of his prime, yeah. seemingly, or right in the middle of it, At if you're going to be completely generous to the timeline of a standard baseball player. And if, I mean, with him in the American League, you know, there's always the time when you can extend a few more years as a DH. So his window is a little bigger than some, but still, you don't want to wait till the very end to go, hey, this is my last season. Let's please, can we do something? Right. And the White Sox are, I think, are extremely interested in keeping yes. Jose around. Uh, perhaps they'll even get a very team friendly deal here mm-hmm. where uh, maybe they're not paying the, the very last dollar to keep him around. Right. So- Sox have plenty of dough. They sure can, they do. And, and, and Jose's been, well, he's the highest paid player in the history of the franchise to this point. Um, so. They're going to top that, with that fairly certainly. They almost topped it this offseason with Manny Machado. But uh, anyway, it was great to talk to Jose. Yeah, it seems. Is there a challenge? And you've interviewed a countless number of athletes. Is and and probably some and others with interpreters. Is that a, is that a different challenge than it is just a regular interview? I didn't really know it going in, but it it 
you know, I, I think somebody who's a, a decent interviewer, which I at least am trying to be, right. you like to play off what they're saying. Right. And it, it was a little bit more of a challenge, I suppose, uh, with with Billy there, like because I'm you don't I don't you, you got to learn you, Spanish, you, Carm. That's I, the I do. Deal. You gotta, I do. You got to get I some do. Rosetta Stone. You got to Spanish it up. I do. I, I didn't know if he was enjoying my questions, if he wanted to kill me. <laughs> But at the end, he gave me this great handshake. He gave me this smile, and he said, it was, "Thank you so much." Oh. I was like, oh, "Okay, so you 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 were actually you were you were right. good the whole way." Okay. So, so but he was I just 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 a good dude. Anyway, all right, quick time out, and uh, coming up after four thirty, Greg Pryor will be here. He's nice. got a book out. Uh, this, uh, why the New York Yankees made me shave, which is yes. a, just which is a brilliant brilliant title. So uh, we'll do that after four thirty, and uh, an update on Tim Anderson coming on back here seven twenty WGN. It's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox. 720 WGN. Thank you, Jerry Reinsdorf. Good to be here with you, sir. Second year of the partnership with the Chicago White Sox. very nice. Tim Anderson doing some cool stuff off the field. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, Brian Noonan, what do you got? Take the family out to the ballgame, Carm. A family four-pack. This is a great deal. You get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips starting at $49. You can't beat that. It's brought to you by Country Financial. Prepare for your financial future one simple step at a time at takesimplesteps.com. For tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash four-packs and enter the promo code VALUE. And Tim Anderson being cool is sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. So Timmy is having a hell of a season, right? He's your American League Player of the Month for April, and... Trying to bring fun back to the game. How do you feel about some fun in baseball, Brian Noonan? I'm all about fun in baseball. Listen, you've got every... Here, get ready. Here come the hot takes. No, yeah. I think baseball needs to a little more fun. And I know purists, if there's still some purists out there who put on a suit and tie to go to a baseball game, I appreciate the history and the tradition of the game. I also know in this day and age, you need to amp up the entertainment value at certain points. Why do why do all clubs do things between innings? Why do why are there more ballpark amenities? Because People have limited entertainment dollar resources, and they're going to put them where they're going to be excited. And the Sox do a great job of that, but baseball as a whole needs to uh, needs to ease up just a little bit. I don't think, and obviously we're talking about Anderson's bat flip. I don't think that was a disrespectful bat flip. I don't think it was. I don't think it was as egregious as uh, who was uh, who was pitching for the Blue Jays today? Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, Aaron Sanchez, Aaron Sanchez. and he's oh, he's all mouthy. First, first nine guys, mm-hmm. he gets him out. Oh man, he shut. See, to me, that's disrespectful. A guy hits a home run, turns to his own dugout, and flips the bat at them. Marcus, so what? Marcus Stroman was a little mouthy, two pitching for the Blue Jays yesterday. It was yesterday or two days ago? Right. Everything so, runs together. So right. Yes, I'm all for. I'm all for a little fun. And I don't mind a little mouthiness on the mound either. For the record, you want to be mouthy, great. But you're going to back it up. You're going to get nine guys in the other dugout who are going to try to take you out of the ballpark right. and or rip a shot right back through the box. And that's you know what? That's fine because that's hard play. I'm not a fan of the throwing at somebody. You know, you th- they threw it, Tim. Uh, Tim after uh, after that bad flip. That's just assault. Brad that, that's Keller. wrong. That is bad. That that's bad for anything. But you know what? You want to get mouthy and take your take your chances that the next four guys up aren't going to drill hits. 
Well, that's good for you. It 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 can be a little bit of a wake up call with the pitchers on the. But however, there's there's you know you go back in the day. Bob gets Bob Gibson had plenty of flair up there, and if oh, he yeah. did anything wrong, he's going to fire it at your head. Uh, so there's there's that side too. But and we'll have some old school conversation. Greg Pryor is going to be with us. Bill Naharodney's coming up after five o'clock. Used to catch yeah. the White Sox. Right. He's got a CD out. Got some sweet music for you on the show today. But so Tim Anderson this week, just to why we bringing up Timmy. Uh, he was three for four today. Hit a three run homer. That was sweet. He also is donating for the rest of the year $500 every time he steals a base. The proceeds go to the Anti-Violence Foundation. He uh, announcing this this week on a Tim Anderson Instagram post. Um, and so far, you know, Timmy's got should have had a five hundred dollar donation today. Yeah, that was an odd uh, that was an odd call. But this is a, this is great because he said, "Listen, I had a I had a hard time coming up. This was not uh, my life was not easy. It was not the traditional way. So, uh, you know, I play on the south side where there's a lot of violence. There's violence all over this city. So to try to be able to give back to the kids, I think uh, good for Tim Anderson I mean, becoming quickly becoming the face of the franchise. Won't you say? Yeah, absolutely. No, and he's he welcomes it the whole thing. And he in his in his post says with every he puts it in bold stolen base I swiped this season I personally pledged five hundred but five hundred dollars to help steal away from senseless violence within our communities, um, and he goes on in conjunction with his donations he started a pledgeit dot org drive seeking twenty five thousand dollars so here's a guy who's putting his money where his mouth is where the, where his heart is. He's out in the community all the time. He's in the barber shop. Lone African American player uh, on the Chicago White Sox, one of yeah, seventy-two in baseball. It's hard to believe, isn't it, in this day and age? It, it is. It just seems it seems crazy, and it's and it points to I think uh, what he's saying. Listen, you know, in in the inner city, baseball is not the prime sport anymore. You know, and it hasn't been for a while. So you got to and people like to put that on economics. It's not economics. You no. only need. Baseball's two, a cheap game to play. Right, you got you need two people. You you got a you got a, a chalk on a on a on a yeah. wall. That's your strike zone, and you got one guy with a bat and two people with a mitt. You can you can play fast pitch. That, that's yeah, not, we didn't we didn't have a lot of stuff when we would play. You find a you find just some area where you could put a couple something for a base. You know, they're not in you know in in the Dominican Republic. They're it's not like they have the greatest facilities right. down there. They play the game. It's more so that that they're the flair, the excitement. You don't see that in baseball as much goes, as you see it in other sports. So that yes. that is it, that is a I think a greater impact on why the game has become uh, play. In, at least in my opinion, it goes back to what we were saying about fun in the game. You have to do something to attract the youth market. The youth kids want to see. You know, they play video games of the NBA or the NFL. It's action packed. Baseball, for all its artistry can be slow and it can be a little stodgy and so you've got to do something and even if it's just promote personalities who are making the game exciting they're still playing within the rules they're adhering to your unspoken rules which i love unspoken rules in baseball but they're doing that so promote those players and promote them market by market you can't have the markets for baseball are so varied you can't have 
one or two. Like ba- basketball, it's, you it's, can always LeBron can be the guy for everybody. It's a way more regional sport, right? So oh, you have man. to find you have to find a Chicago guy. You have to find a Milwaukee. You're guy. right. You're right. It's not people don't watch the national games like no. baseball. It's like it's yeah, local. It's right. Local, right. local, local. Yeah, I want to know not, who. I want to know how the guys are doing on my team in my town. Mike Mike Trout's a cool name, but I'm not watching a whole lot of Angels baseball, right, and neither exactly. is, and neither is anyone else. All right, quick time out. We'll get you into news, and then Greg Pryor after four thirty seven twenty WGN. White Sox Weekly continuing. Mark Harmon and Brian Noonan with you on this Sunday afternoon. Brian's got his own show coming up at 5.30 as well. You want to promo that there, Brian Noonan? Yeah, we're going to talk to uh, Chicago Fringe Opera after 6 o'clock. They've got, a, uh, they've got a new production coming out, so we'll be talking, going from baseball to opera. From so, baseball uh, to opera? Yeah, what do you think of that? It's I, a full, full afternoon. I mean, that could almost be a book, like The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave, who uh, Greg Pryor... Yes, gonna, nice segue, Carr. You like that? He's Beautiful. Gonna, he, he's going to join us now. Started his career very briefly with the Rangers and then a Chicago White Sox, 78, 79, 80, and 81, and then a Kansas City Royal, where he got to win a World Series with the Royals. And uh, the day the Yankees made me shave, Greg Pryor, uh, first of all, welcome to 720 WGN. It's great to talk to you. Your book is awesome, and we're excited to have you. Hey, thanks, Mark, and hi, Brian. Nice to hear your voice there, and uh, it's great to be on the show. Uh, Scott Reifert, uh, VP of Communications for the White Sox, uh, he he asked me if I wanted to come on your show because I plan on coming up there uh, this season having a book signing at the ballpark, and we're working on that right now, so... I'm excited about the book. It uh, took uh, about two or three years to write. I kind of wrote it for my grandkids because I got all these crazy stories uh, about when I played, and I figured if I didn't put them in uh, print, uh, they might just uh, go with me when I go. So I decided to write them out, and I'm having a fun time telling people about them. Well, Tony LaRusso wrote your foreword, and that is, of course, a name that uh, evokes a lot of emotion in this city, right? First of all, winning yeah. ugly 1983 White Sox. And then, uh, t- you know, Tony's been a character in the game forever. What, what was your relationship like with Tony? I know it, it seems like you had the standard roller coaster with him, and, it, and you've come out good friends in the end. Well, when I came to White Sox in 78, uh, Bob Lemon was the manager, and uh, I, I really liked Bob Lemon, a Hall of Fame pitcher, you know. And then Larry Doby took over for Bob Lemon, and then Don Kessinger took over for Larry Doby. So I had three managers in less than like a year and a half. And then when Kessinger left, uh, Tony was hired. And I had never heard of Tony LaRusso in my life. And he, he came up and took over, and uh, he was like three, four, five years older than me. He's almost like having a player as a manager. Uh, but you know, I saw him when he was young, and uh, I, I played 300 and some games underneath his uh, managerial uh, leadership. And uh, some of the stories in the book I wrote about uh, the young Tony LaRusso and the things that he did. And when I called him to ask him to write my forward, you know, I, I honor him for being in the Hall of Fame as a manager. And I, I didn't know whether he would write it or not, but he did. And he, he wanted me to overnight the uh, manuscript to Boston where he's working now. He read the manuscript, and he says, Prior, you uh, chapped on me a little bit in your book. <laughs> and I said, hey, Tony, go ahead. Write the forward the way you want it. You know, I don't care what you say about me in the forward. Go ahead and do it. So he kind of uh, came at me, back at me in the forward, which was great. And I really appreciate Tony uh, writing it for me. 
uh, whatever people think about him, uh, give him credit for what he did in baseball. I think he was a credit to the game, and I'm so glad that I was with him uh, as a rookie manager. Greg, as I was doing research about you in the book, uh, it could have been ripped out of today's headlines. Is it true that uh, you were not drafted out of high school, and your dad may have mm, greased the wheels to get you into Florida Southern? <laughs> Well, you know, out of high school, I had no intention to play in pro ball. I was just trying to, I didn't even know if I was trying to play in college. I liked golf more in baseball in high school. And uh, my brother, my older brother, was a great pitcher at Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida. So my dad went to the coach at Florida Southern and said, either you give little Greg a scholarship or I'm taking Jeff out of your school. <laughs> that's that, that's how I got to college. Uh, I went down there uh, on a $250 scholarship and ended up, uh, you know, getting in the mix, just uh I'll probably do another book about what happened in that time in my life because, you know, a lot of young players don't know what to do. They don't know where to go to college, whether they have right. a sign or not. And I went to college and, and I was during the Vietnam era, and I, I got to uh, get some uh, – I was around a great manager, Hal Schmelzley at Florida Southern, and I just started improving. And all of a sudden, guys on the team were saying, prior, man, you, you might get drafted. So in 71, I got drafted by the white, uh, the uh, Senators – and I was like, they gave me ten grand to sign. I go to my rookie league team in the New York Penn League, and the manager up there told me to quit. He says, you're no good. You can quit. You don't need to keep playing. So, you know, it's just stories about what happened yeah. to a young kid that wasn't go, supposed to uh, play pro ball that played pro ball and ended up playing in the World Series. So <laughs> I like the way you're just matter-of-fact about this, Greg, and I think that somebody could look at you, and I think LaRusso put in his forward that you're this utility guy and you're a journeyman, and people look at those words like it's a negative, but they're actually huge compliments. A journeyman means that there's a bunch of clubs that actually wanted you. Right. And that, you know, when your services became available, when Kansas City's able to pick you up, the White Sox, uh, you know, picking you off from the Rangers, that's a compliment. And the fact that you're a utility guy that it can actually play all over, that's a pretty skilled guy, too. So. Uh, do you have a, a proud Greg Pryor? Like, look, man, I made it to the big leagues and I had a hell of a career as you're writing this book, Feeling? Well, a good thing, uh, thanks for the comments there. Uh, the good thing that happened to me in my career was if uh, you look at my baseball cards, uh, you'll see that I played uh, seven years in the minor leagues. And I learned uh, my craft in the minor leagues, basically. And I was, I was kind of ready to play in the big leagues somewhere uh, in 76 and 77, but Unfortunately, um, the only way I got to the big leagues was through free agency. I left. Uh, that was that was the first year free agency was '76. So in '77, I played AAA for the Yankees in Syracuse, and then uh, my manager was Pete Ward. And uh, Pete Ward, the old Chicago White Sox third baseman, he saw me play every day. And some of these guys in baseball, you know, you got to really watch them play every day. They're they're not great, but they're not bad, and and they do things every day, and they're consistent. And that's that's what makes that's why I like to see about these young players coming up. Can they be consistent when they play? So Pete Ward told uh, Bill Beck and uh, Roland Heeman in uh, 78 that I was good enough to play in the big leagues. Uh, that was when Bill Beck was signing everybody under the world to get on, uh, you know, to try to make the team better in 78. So I signed a one-year contract, uh, and then uh, I got a chance to play. Uh, Bob Lemon uh, really helped me uh, get some confidence. I got my first year in, and then uh, everything happened great after that. I got to play uh, third base, shortstop, and second base in Chicago. And then in 82, I got traded to Kansas City, and I did the same thing there for five years. So it was kind of like a, you just get, get a little bit better each year, and then you just uh, get, get a chance to play. And if you can do it, uh, you stay, you keep a job, and if you don't, you get fired. Did, didn't LaRusso tell you before one year that you weren't going to make the club before spring training even started? 
Yeah, you know, they were trying to change the team around uh, coming into the 82 season. And I give Tony credit for calling me in Florida. My wife and I were expecting our first child in uh, April of that year. And he called me, he called me like in December, and he, go, he says, Greg, you're not going to make our team. And I had, you know, I had spent four years in Chicago, and I said, well, just go ahead and release me. And he says, no, you're gonna, we're going to bring you to spring training. So I go to spring training knowing that my manager told me I'm not going to make the team after playing four years in the big league. So it was kind of it, it'll make you grow thick skin, let me tell you. So I get ready to go to spring training. I, I spent four weeks with the White Sox. Uh, and then they, at the end of spring training, the Royals needed an infielder. And I was the guy that they chose. The White Sox uh, just traded me to Kansas City. And, uh, you know, the White Sox, you know, they went on to win in 83. Uh, but I, I, uh, I went on to Kansas City, and I got to play with George Brett, Frank White, and Willie Wilson, uh, Saberhagen, for four or five years. And uh, it was just a great uh, thing for both uh, organizations, I think. Uh, the White Sox went on to win the World Series after I left, but I, I ended up playing on the World Series in Kansas City in 85. Greg Pryor is our guest. The book, The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave. First of all, I love the layout. Every, every chapter is the day that, which must have been, must have been hard to pick just 27 days. But you mentioned playing shortstop for the White Sox and you were playing shortstop, uh, one night against Detroit. There was supposed to be a doubleheader and all White Sox fans of a certain age either were there or are going to tell you that they were there on the night of disco demolition. What was, what was it like? Cause we've seen it. We've seen the coverage, uh, on TV. Maybe we were at the game. What was it like to be on the field when this all went down? Well, I never went to Woodstock when they had it in there in New York. <laughs> but I, I, it was kind of like having a mini Woodstock in in uh, Comiskey Park. I mean, you know, uh, the old White Sox fans that are listening now, and 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 uh, let me say a Happy Mother's Day to all the uh, the baseball mothers that are listening on the show. Uh, when I when I came to Chicago, Bill Beck was the uh, the, the the Ringling and Barnum and Bailey guy. You know, he, we had events every night. I ran between the belly dancers one night out to my position. So we, nothing surprised us. And so w- when we get to the ballpark, uh, we kind of went to the clubhouse. Uh, yeah, they, they have this anti-disco thing tonight. Well, you know, some of us like disco. We, we didn't know about anti-disco. But then when the, the stand started filling up in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning of the first game, and I was at shortstop, and I was watching this thing. I was right in the middle of it out there in the middle of the field. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, my, the aura in that stadium was unlike anything I've ever seen in any ballpark I've ever played in. I mean, there was there were people there probably for the first time in their life at a baseball game. They probably were that's probably the only time they were there. And there was forty four thousand packed in every seat by the end of the first game. And then I heard that there were twenty thousand outside trying to get in because they had to close the gates because there was no room. Yep. So we there was like sixty thousand people. We go in the clubhouse and uh, I was getting ready to uh, come out to get ready for the second game. And our starting pitcher, Kenny Cravick, walked by me, and uh, I said, Hi, aren't you pitching? He goes, man, there's a riot going on. You need to go look. I said, what? So, I, so I'm running down to the clubhouse or the, out of the clubhouse down to the dugout to see what's going on. And a bunch of these hoodlums, I guess, you can call them, they were trying to storm our clubhouse. They, were try- they, t- they stole everything out of our dugout. All the guys that left their gloves in a dugout, all the gloves were gone. Aye. And uh, our equipment manager had a bat up. He was he'd getting ready to beat the crap out of these guys. <laughs> Trying to trying to storm on our clubhouse, so uh, they, we had to lock ourselves in our clubhouse. We were like prisoners for like an hour, hour and a half uh, before the police could get everybody uh, settled down, so we could even leave the clubhouse. Oh my God! That... Yeah, we, we heard the, we heard the horses and the, uh, they, they called the mounted police out. They, they, they had, we heard hor- horses hooves on the cement right outside our clubhouse. 
Yeah, that was that was kind of the downfall of Bill Veck's Ringling Brothers act. After that, that uh, <laughs> that night was is legendary. Is legendary. <laughs> So you know, yeah. that was Mike Beck deal with uh, Steve Dahl there. Yep, and, exactly. Uh, I think I think I think <laughs> I think Bill would have done something different had he do over again. But you know, I was it was just one of those things that I write about in the book. And uh, you know, I was in the Pine Tar game in New York. I was the only player that ever played in Disco Demolition and the Pine Tar game when George Brett uh, went crazy in New York. So I, I had to write all these stories out because you know a lot of fans want to know what happened uh, at, at that time and. A lot of the stories in my book are White Sox stories, but I also have some stories in there about being with the Rangers and also the Yankees and, and the Royals. So you got the 27. What what day came in number 28? What was the one where you're like, I, the book's done, 27 stories, 27 outs in a game. Okay, this one oh, just got edged out. Uh, you know, that's, yeah, yeah, great question. I. I, I, I take some flights sometimes, and I write my stories out like one-liners, you know, the day that. I kept writing them. I got to 100, and I stopped. <laughs> so then I told, my, I told my daughter, I said, look, Haley, uh, she helped me with the book. I said, Haley, i got to write this book about these stories. She says, uh, she says, Dad, won't you just do like 27, like 27 outs to a baseball game? And, and if people like your first 27, you can do the next 27. There you go. So i got another 27 stories on the burner right now. I've already got them written out. And I'm, what I'm trying to do, uh, I, I self-published this book, and I got no publisher, so people can't go out and buy it at the store right now. They can buy it online, or they can buy it on my, my website. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a reprint done. I've only printed 300. These are going to be limited edition copies that I did. I'm going to hand, I'm going to hand sign them all, and I'm going to do my next 27 as soon as I can get past this first hurdle of trying to get the, the first 300 books sold. Greg Power was an infielder with the White Sox from 78 to 81, then went on to the Royals to win a World Series. Chapter 1 of the book, though, and the title of the book, The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave. Correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't play in the big leagues with them. You played for the their AAA club in 77. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. But let me just get right real quick back to Brian because I really didn't answer him. The, I guess the 28th story uh, would be the, the day that I fought with Earl Weaver. <laughs> okay, that'll be a good one. <laughs> you know. For volume number but, two. Yeah, I, I uh, chose to put uh, The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave as my first story and the title of the book because it's it kind of like it, when, when you tell people that's the name of the book, they kind of laugh, you know, yeah, but it's a real story. I got traded to the Yankees in the spring of 77. Uh, Gabe Paul called me. The Rangers traded me there. And here I go down to Lauderdale to train with Reggie and Thurman and Catfish. They had just finished the World Series with the Reds. They got swept four games to none. And I'm walking into Major League Spring Training with the guys that just played the American League in the World Series. And I had a mustache along with Thurman, along with Reggie. And I, and I had the mustache the whole month. Well, Billy uh, didn't like me. I should have I should have maybe made that 77 <laughs> team. Uh, but Billy didn't like me that much. So I got sent to Syracuse, and I was not happy at all because I was heading back to my third year in AAA. And I go to the AAA uh, camp uh, to the farm director, and he goes, well, Greg, make the best of it. I said, make the best of it. I said, you guys need to trade me as soon as possible. He goes, no, no, Greg, you need to go shave your mustache because minor leaguers can't have mustaches in the Yankee organization. <laughs> I said, what? So really, 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 it got, I got really upset. And I told Pete Ward, uh, my manager, uh, before spring training was even over, I said, look, Pete, I'm going to be a bad uh, guy on this team. I tell you, I'm going to be your worst nightmare. I, I want out of here. These wow. people aren't giving me a chance. So I started growing a mustache. And I had the other guys on the team vote to grow a mustache against the rules. 
We all signed a paper. I took it into Pete Ward's office in Syracuse, and I said, hey, Pete, we're all grown mustaches. Let the Yankees know that I'm behind it because I have uh-huh. to vote. We all, we, all, we all voted to grow. So all the guys are growing, and the Yankees, you know, the Steinbrenner's rule, you know, it was, it was kind of an unfair rule. Anyway, so uh, after three weeks, they had threatened everybody on the team to shave uh, except for me. They, they didn't threaten me because I wanted to release. Sure. I grew up to get released. And then after three weeks, uh, Pete Ward had a meeting in Pawtucket after a game, and he goes, uh, I just wanted you guys to know that the Yankees have uh, allowed all minor leaguers to grow mustaches. Now you guys can all go start growing your mustaches. Oh, my God. So they, wow. I got, the rule cha- I got the rule changed, but here I was, 28, broke, and still in AAA with the Yankees. Uh, so so I, I, write, I write the story, and uh, that's, that's the first story in my book, and it kind of uh, – it, it kind of uh, – Sets the story off because yeah. you know sometimes in life, whatever job you're in, whatever position in life you're in, you you come to a point you have to draw the stands uh, in the you have to draw the line in the sand and and I did it with the Yankees with a mustache and it, and it turned into the book title. See, I would have thought you would have been very very nice to the New York Yankees, Rick. Prior, you're trying to get to the big leagues, you weren't established at that point, but you were all. Hey man, I'm going to do what I what I think is best for me. That's a lot of confidence to have for a young guy, even though you weren't super young. I get it, 27, 28 years old, but still, you hadn't made well, it yet to the bigs. Well, it gets uh, you know the, 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 another story in the book is uh, titled "The Day That George Strammer Called Me a Dumbass." Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the Yankee, the Yankees, the Yankees heard I could be a free agent during the season. Marvin Miller, I didn't know I could be a free agent in New York. Uh, I, I uh, Marvin Miller, the, the union leader, called me in the Syracuse, and he goes, "Prior." I just want you to know that you're one of uh, a few guys that can be a free agent after this minor league season. Uh, and I, I was like getting the lease on life. So when the Yankees found out that they had traded for a potential free agent, because I was traded for, for Sandy Alomar Sr., it, you know, it wasn't like a low-level trade. Uh, you know, for, for me to leave the Yankees and they get nothing for, for a Sandy Alomar Sr., uh, you know. So Steinbrenner and Gabe Paul, they called me on the phone. They said, hey, we need to sign you. Come to New York. Please come to New York. And here, here they were, an organization that wouldn't let me grow a mustache. Now they want to sign me to a contract. So I finally <laughs> work. I, I talked to Gabe Paul and Steinbrenner face-to-face up in his office. They offered me a two-year contract. They offered to call me up. And uh, mind you, I already told you I was broke. I was right. 28 and broke. And before I left Syracuse, Gene Locklear, uh, an old uh, a player for the Reds and the Yankees in the big leagues, he goes, Prior, you better not sign with the Yankees because they don't, they don't have no space for you, man. They got Greg Nettles, they got Bucky Dent, they got Willie Randolph. Where are you going to play? So here I go to New York. They're they're offering me forty thousand dollars, which was a lot of money back in '77. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm and and they say and they said, Greg, the pinstripes, the rest of your life, you, it'll it'll be on your resume. And I turned them down. I, I I had no attention to the sign. I turned it down. And Steinbrenner looked at me. He goes, Son, he says, if you don't sign this two year contract, you're going to go to the top of my dumbass list. <laughs> Oh well, and I, I had no I had no agent. I didn't get an agent until uh, the next winter. So I turned it down. I went back to Syracuse, and I just sweated out till November. And I got drafted by the White Sox and uh, four other teams in free agent draft in uh, November of '77. And uh, then the rest is history. Steve yeah. Greenberg, the Hank, Hank Greenberg's son, uh, called me. He was an agent, and he asked me to be an agent. And he got, he negotiated a one year contract with the White Sox, and that's how I got there. How much? I got sixty. Six. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I turned, I, but the best part about the best part about it was uh, Steve negotiated a, a contract for sixty, and I could be a free agent after my first year in Chicago. Nice. So here I go to my first year in 
in the big leagues making sixty grand, which is like three times the minimum. And and then, and I could be a free agent at the end of the year. What'd you get? I went from I, I went from hell with the Yankees and AAA <laughs> in Syracuse to to heaven playing on the south side in front of all those great Chicago White Sox fans uh, and 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 managed by Bob Lemon. You know, I, I played with Bobby Bonds. I played with Wilbur Wood. I got I got to play with some great uh, veteran ball players there in Chicago, and it kind of got me ready uh, for the second part of my career is when I got traded to Kansas City. And if people want to read all these stories, the book is The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave, thedaytheyankeesmademeshave.com. You can go there and order the book. Uh, Greg Pryor, it has been it has been wonderful talking to you. I can't wait to hear more of the stories. And we'll get, uh, what, 28 to 54 next time? Is <laughs> yeah. that the next book? Yeah. All right, I've tried to do the math in my head. And hopefully we see you when you come to town. Hey, if enough fans want the rest of the next book, I'll get it. And they go to Amazon, too, and they can download it for 10 bucks. Perfect. It's available today on Amazon. So thanks, guys. I appreciate you letting me talk. Greg, awesome to talk to you. Be well. We'll see you at the ballpark. All right. See you, Mark. See you, Brian. Take care, Greg. Greg, Greg Pryor. What an interesting dude. Yeah, man. a lot Loved of it. great stories. Loved it. All right, so quick time. I'll have another interesting White Sox player from that era coming up after 5 o'clock, uh, as we will continue on. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGM. White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN. We're going to be talking to Bill Naharadny coming up here, who I'm very excited to talk about, talk to Brian Noon. And this man has got a CD out. It's a double CD. A double CD. Have you ever put a CD out over there? I have put a CD out. Uh, it's, I, I do. Oh, yeah. It's called Protect the Children. Uh, it's a live uh, comedy CD from back in the day. Should I know this? You should, sure. If, you were, if you were a Brian Noonan fan, you'd know. I mean, how do come I on, not know on. that? I don't know. Just but yes, I have. Listen, I've got cases of them in the garage if you'd like, uh, <laughs> if you'd like a couple dozen. Uh, but yeah, I've got. Uh, but this one is music that Bill not only wrote and recorded, but then there's uh, baseball stories on the other one. So it's a, it's a compendium of baseball. Knowledge from his time, not only with the White Sox, but uh, throughout his entire career, he played with uh, he played with the Sox, the Braves, the Indians, and the Tigers. Uh, was with the Sox from seventy seven to seventy nine, and has a lot of really cool. We're talking to guys who have cool stories, and Bill Naharodney has uh, has a number of cool stories as well. And Bill joining us now, the former Major League Baseball Rookie Catcher of the Year, the Phillies, the White Sox, the Braves, the Indians. The What's up, Bill? Good to have you on. Hey Mark, thank you for inviting me, sir. So you, uh, you, sir, are have gone from baseball man to musician in all in one fell swoop. Is that about it? Like you just walked off the field and all of a sudden you started creating music? <laughs> no, not that easy. After baseball, I went to UPS for fourteen years, uh, Tires Plus for eleven years, uh, worked at the jail for eight years as a guard. Holy and, cow! Uh, Oh yeah, well, back in my day, you had to work, man. There was no, uh, you know, just taking it off in off season. Not only that, you'd work and uh, and and I coach little league and everything all the way up for the kids. That's got to be that's got to be a big transition. But as you watch the game evolve, and now these guys who are playing now would never dream of having to go and work a, work a regular job in the off season. They, to, to them it's like what are you talking about? I'm a baseball player. That's what I do. And now because yeah. now they're, you know, year-round tra- training and conditioning and it's a whole big thing. Oh yeah, it's it's funny too cuz I go to these events 
And uh, a lot of the young kids will come up to me and they say, Mr. Naharadney. I say, yes, sir. Then they shake my hand and say, thank you for paving the way to us. And I go, oh, geez, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> oh, God. Nothing like making you feel older than you are. Yeah, not the true. I'm pretty old. You know? <laughs> oh God! You you but, weren't uh, you weren't thinking about paving any ways, right, Bill? You were just thinking about making a living and having some good time, uh, having some fun playing baseball. Heck yeah! I was lucky enough to play with Philly, Chicago, Atlanta, Cleveland, Detroit, Seattle, and then Dominican for four years, Venezuela, and then worked those jobs and everything was. Just, I mean, I had a good life, man. I'm happy. We uh, we just had your teammate Greg Pryor on uh, as well as he was sort of regaling us with some Tony La Russa stories and uh, the late seventies early eighties White Sox. I know that you were you know I think Sox fans today should should know that you were you were the catcher for that team one of two and and you were catching Steve Stone. Steve who sir? Uh, St- uh, I believe he's a guy. Steve Stoney does the White Sox television. Oh. Yeah, you broke up. I'm sorry. But, yeah, uh, Steve Stone was awesome. He was one of my favorites to catch. He did not go real hard. But uh, the best way to describe it, if you put a broomstick with a glove on it and just put it back there, he'd hit it every time. And we used to come in on every hitter deep inside, and then he'd own the outside part of the plate. The guy had pinpoint control, and he had a lot of pitches. That I mean, he was a joy to catch. Steve Stone was just awesome. So we're talking about great pitchers. Steve Stone, one of them. Another uh, legendary pitcher, Nolan Ryan. You had one of your career highlights almost uh, on this date back in, uh, I forget the year, but you uh, you faced Ryan and had a big day against him on the south side. Yep, it was 1978, and, uh, you know, I come to the plate, they, I think I pinch hit, and I go, oh, my God, Nolan Ryan, this is like uh, one of the first times I've seen him pitch, and I remember him throwing that first pitch, ball 104 miles an hour, I went to the catcher, oh, man, and he's laughing, so it's ball two, ball three, I go, oh, thank God he's going to walk me, you know, so then it was strike one, strike two, and I'm not going to come up there and stand, if he'd have threw the ball over the second deck, I was swinging, man. He got into his windup, and here it comes. And uh, I have a 36-inch, 36-ounce bat is what I swing. Oh, my God. And uh, when he got it out front, I went to the dead middle of the plate with that bat, and the contact was like nothing I heard before, you know, out of me. (laughs) And uh, the ball goes sailing to the uh, almost center field, the first exit towards center field in that upper deck. And somebody I just – they told me it was like between – 580 and 606 through that deck. Oh my! And I, I didn't supply that kind of power. I mean, Nolan Ryan, when you watch him pitch, he would wind up and he'd throw, and the ball would take on a downward angle, and it would like flatten up and like a rocket pick up speed, and then just explode into the catcher's glove. Uh, J.R. Richards threw 100 miles an hour too, but it was different. Nolan's ball just uh, unbelievably exploded about halfway to the plate. And I'm sorry, I got carried away. But no, you know, it's, it's how do you even see something going that fast? I mean, it, it's a question for all hitters. But you're standing up there. You said the first time you've ever faced Nolan Ryan. How do you yeah. see the ball come out of his hand going that fast? You don't have much time to react. You know, I was I did things a little different, and uh, you know, I would split the plate middle in, middle away, up or down, and that's the spot that my body would go to. And if the ball was there, you'd hit it hard. You know. 
So uh, that's what I would do. And if the ball is on its way in that direction, man, you're swinging. There is no fine tuning halfway through the swing. You know, you're letting it go. You know, grunt and everything. So yeah, this is, it's a whole different ball game. If there was another league, Nolan Ryan, J.R. Richards, a lot of them like that, Tom Seaver, they should have been in it. You know, that's how good they were. It's interesting that you say that because Stone was talking on the broadcast today. There's no way you can cover the entire plate. You, this is yeah. exactly how you just described, Bill, that you got to pick one avenue. And it, guys, throughout their careers, like the elite hitters, they'll be able to be better and better at covering it. But there's no way that even the great hitters, they don't cover the whole plate. They're basically looking to split it in, in one way or another. So, uh, you, you, did, did you talk baseball back then with Stone? Did you have a relationship with him? Was, was he like the smart guy in the clubhouse like he is now on television? I had a relationship with all my pitchers. In fact, I got a story that you might enjoy. Uh, one day, uh, Francisco Barrios and me, we got to the park very early, and we had one bag of pretzels there. And I says, okay, let's play blackjack for these pretzels because we didn't gamble on baseball, you know. So we we, <laughs> we take the thing, and I, and I beat him, you know. And he says, he's not going to give me those pretzels. So I tackle him in a clubhouse. And I'm dragging him because I told him I'm going to dump his head in the toilet, you know, and he's laughing. And who comes through the door? Mr. Vec with three, four press people. And he walks up and he said, what are you guys doing? And I said, oh, we're just playing around, Mr. Vec. He says, Bill, number one rule here, you don't beat up your pitcher. And everybody started laughing. And I said, well, he won't give me my pretzels. And I just beat him. He says, "He says, Francisco, give him his pretzels. <laughs> but, oh, man, you I talk about the fear of God in you, man. When he walked in the door and he saw this and he confronted me, I'm going, oh, my God, Mr. Vec, you know. Bill, hey, uh, can, we want to play some of your songs. Can you hang on one second? We're going to take a quick time. Can you hang with us? Absolutely, sir. All right, let me put you on hold real quick here. Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the Cleveland Indians on Saturday, June the 1st. The first 20,000 fans are going to get a Chicago-themed White Sox jersey presented by NBC Sports Chicago. You can purchase your tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. And Brian Noonan. And we need to head to uh, the park after work for bleachers and brews. Oh, that's right up my alley. Get one bleacher seat and two beers for $22 all season long. Must be 21 and over with a valid ID. Bleachers and Brews is presented by Budweiser. To purchase tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash brew and enter promo code BREW. Okay, we're going to play a, a, a song from Bill coming on back here. I believe we could take quick time out right now. Yes, we can. All right. Uh, quick time out and then we'll uh, hear from Bill coming on back. 720 WGN. You got it today. Listen to our band, Bill Naharaj. He hasn't come in yet. You gotta wait. Bill comes in in a Bill comes in in a couple seconds. Oh, keep it rolling. Keep it Here's rolling. The refrain goes. The closer. There he is. Yes. The two CD set is called At the Ball Yard. There's uh, original songs by Bill Naharani and uh, some great baseball stories. Bill, where can people get the CD? And I know you're doing, you put it together for a great cause. Yes, sir. We do it for for you know for best charities. We give them uh, a percentage of the of the uh, what we make on it, 
And uh, we're going to hopefully the 27th, we're working at being at the uh, uh, Chicago White Sox uh, ballpark there, signing autographs. And all the CDs are signed, by the way. I signed every one of them. It took me like six months, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, sign so a few, take a break. At the ballpark. At the old, uh, it'd be like my last at bat if everything works out on the 27th. We're still working on it, but uh, uh, it'll be at home plate at the old Comiskey Park, and we'll be out there signing autographs, talking with people, having a good time. But, uh, you know, it's uh, you can get the CD um, there, or we're not on eBay yet, but uh, I'll give you an address if you want to send a check for 25 bucks. We get them out there, and uh, um, the address is 5568. West Grove Park Road, Dunellen, Florida, 34433. And as soon as we figure out how to use that uh, the credit card machine, we'll be on Facebook, <laughs> I mean, on uh, eBay. There you and go. Bill, I love it, man. Tips. Grassroots. Things are not that easy when you get hit with a lot of foul tips. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, man, let me tell you about Comiskey Park. What a beautiful place to smell. 100 years of food and baseball, and the sound off the bat was just fantastic. In 77, I'm playing AAA baseball, watching the game because we're rained out in AAA and with the Phillies, and I see the park, and I see the people yelling and screaming, this is 77, this is the hitmen, you know? And uh, a week later, I'm catching burials, you know, with the uh, with the White Sox. You talk about a kid that's stunned, man. 77, I hit a home run off Baylor Moore in September when I got called up. And then uh, in 78, I hit a home run off Baylor Moore. I thought that was the only guy I could hit home runs <laughs> off of in the big leagues, you know. Didn't you break up a no-hitter from Steve Carlton, too? Yes, and there's a story behind that one, too. I'm in a bullpen with my back towards the field, and I'm warming up pitchers. I'm warming up pitchers. They'll come here and hit. Okay. So I get up to, I get up to the plate, and McCarver's pitching, and uh, he throws me the first pitch as a curveball. You know, I go, what the heck? I told McCarver. I said, what, are you going to throw me curveballs all day? Next pitch was a fastball. Line drive up the middle. His cap came off, I mean, a P, up the middle. I get the first base, and the people are screaming, you know, and I'm going, holy smoke, I think they remember me because I played there. So I'm kind of <laughs> turning, turning towards the field. I'm reaching up to tip my hat, and I look up at the scoreboard, thank God, and there's a little cartoon guy with his finger up in there. It says one hit. I go, oh, my God. Uh... If I was back in those days, if I had tipped my hat after breaking up a no-hitter, every pitcher in baseball would have drilled me at least once, you know. Oh, yeah. Now, would you have approached the plate differently had you known or had you realized that a no-hitter was in progress? Or you go to the plate the same way every time, right? You don't care. You want to get a hit. I probably would have choked, man. (laughs) (laughs) Guys throwing a no-hitter with two outs in the eighth inning. You know, what's my chances? You know, but I was was working on my pitchers, and uh, I was thinking of how I'm going to pitch, you know, what pitches I'm going to call, who's coming up for them. So when I got up to the plate, it had nothing to do with him. He threw me that curveball. I was like, come on, throw me a fastball. Throw me something that's decent, you know? And boom, I got it, and base hit, and and that's the end of the story. But, yeah, I, I really had no idea he was throwing a no-hitter because it was not my concern. I was focused on my pitchers, and I probably would have choked. I mean, that's a lot of pressure with guys throwing a no-hitter and they in it, you know. Hey, Bill, who, uh, before you go, we're running out of time, but I just want to know, who did you who did you dislike the most? Because as a catcher, you get to hear these oh, guys yeah. talk. You're there, uh, and that was, a, that was an age when uh, I, there was a lot of hatred going around on the baseball field. Bit. I didn't hate nobody, but I'll tell you what I did hate is uh, catching that knuckleball with Wilbur Wood. 
Uh-huh. He threw a slower knuckleball. It danced around. It was like trying to catch a wild parakeet in a birdcage. You know, it just was tough. One time he threw me a knuckleball. It was about head high at a hitter. I stood up, and the ball hit me in a big toe. Oh, to give you an idea, and I had the big glove on. I absolutely loved the guy. I loved catching him. But I'll tell you what, if I went one for four when Wilbur was pitching, I had a great day. You know, he he, he was something. And he didn't throw that hard, but you could read the name on the ball every pitch, you know. Well, the CD is called At the Ball Yard. Uh, Bill Naharani will be at the at the park on May twenty seventh at the old at the site of the old home plate at the old Comiskey to uh, to sign the CDs. So uh, go out and see Bill. Bill, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Bill, you're awesome. Thanks for taking time. Hey, thank you anytime, guys, and I appreciate it. It's, it's our pleasure. Bill Naharadny will be at Guaranteed Right Field coming yeah. up here. Unique. Yes, very nice. I, I, love, love, I love hearing these stories. Me too. Me you too. Know? Hey, Sox fans, join us as the White Sox take on the Cleveland Indians. That's Saturday, uh, June the 1st. The first 20,000 fans receive a Chicago-themed White Sox jersey presented by NBC Sports Chicago. Purchase your tickets by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. Are you looking to host a great event? Well, host a pregame patio party at Guaranteed Rate Field. This season, you can treat your group to an all-you-can-eat buffet, along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products, starting 90 minutes prior through 30 minutes after the scheduled start time. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. Quick time out, White Sox Weekly, 720 WGN.